All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everyone, welcome back to another great episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm joined with, as usual, Bryce Paul's with me here in the studio. Bryce, how are you doing today? Folks, uh, it's a wild one, right? I mean, we're recording this right now, August 3rd, uh, and the markets are just volatile as ever, but uh, things seem to have been bottoming out, uh, and there's still massive raises in the private, kind of in the private sector. Lots of big deals are getting done. We've been seeing deal flow in our hedge fund. Lots of crazy things in the market, but we've got an awesome, you know, entrepreneur, technologist, businessman, builder, uh, you name it. He checks all the boxes. We got Iqbal Gondam, and he is from none other than, drumroll please, Ledger. Ladies and gentlemen, Iqbal, how's it going, man? going very well i must say i've never been introduced that well before in my life so thank you to uh, crypto 101 <laughs> all right yeah we like to do things a little a dif- little bit different here uh, at crypto 101 but but iqbal take us back to the time machine real quick uh you are yeah. you know y- you're running a huge huge part of ledger which is one of the largest you know hardware wallet companies now you guys are branching into software and you know a lot, actually, you know, way more than that. So let, we'll dive into that. But take us back to you personally, a little bit about your backstory and how you found yourself, you know, running payments at one of the largest crypto companies. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll skip the first half of my career, which was very tech driven. I've held the kind of the, the CTO hat, data centers, networks, um, domain registration, web hosting. So I did the entire ISP side of the business, side of the business, the industry when it was very nascent from 94 up until about 2004, 2005. By building my own business, I ended up doing the, the, the sales, marketing, 
revenue side of the business rather than just building cool products also. So then I migrated into what I would call customer acquisition, whether that's sales, whether that's holding the CMO, chief marketing officer role. I moved into traditional finance in 2013, where I worked on a robo-advisor in the UK called Nutmeg, which if you read, has recently been sold to JP Morgan. Um, they're still the largest robo-advisor, pensions, ISAs, um, savings and investment, pretty much. Post that, I joined eToro. Um, so eToro at that point were trading derivatives, CFDs. Um, we then expanded into offering cryptos to the rest of the world and then moved into offering free stocks, you know, the, the, the Robin Hood model. Stayed there for four years, built that from a, an 800 million market cap company to, I think, what's estimated now is 10 billion um, when they go and list um, on, on NASDAQ. And post that, I, I thought I was going to head into retirement. That never happened. Um, I keep dreaming about it. And I had a conversation with uh, Pascal, the CEO of Ledger. Our visions were aligned um, or pretty aligned. And uh, I decided this would be a, a really interesting challenge um, to see how we could take Ledger, expand its uh, services from being just a, a hardware wallet provider to, as you mentioned, you know, offering what we call the Ledger Live with a software component um, to the business also. Is there so many people that come out of retirement from traditional finance into crypto to build their dreams? You just took a direct route. So that's how I gave you some time. But the give us the grand vision of what you're building over there with a payment system at Ledger. What's missing in the actual payment systems today that you guys are going to bring to the table? So there's so I think if you look at Ledger historically, it's been driven by the, the, the hardware business, the Ledger Nano X and the Ledger Nano S. I call them USB devices. Everybody dislikes me uh, when I call them that because I oversimplify it. But if we step back and look at the world of crypto, there's three different layers to crypto. There's the top layer, what I call the transactional layer. And that's where the usual suspects are sitting. That's where we see the Aves, the Celsius, the Binance, the Coinbase. They are basically helping you transact in the world of crypto, whether it's buying and selling crypto, whether it's lending or borrowing, or whether it's what I call sending and spending, you know, the sending crypto to each other or spending or buying goods and services. So that's the transaction layer. Ledger, I would say, pretty much owns the layer below, which is the wallet or the services container. And Ledger's vision is to be the access point into the world of transactions. Um, so they own the hardware space. Now the question is, can they connect to enough partners in that transaction space? So not only is your crypto stored securely, you can now also transact securely via our, our range of partners. So that's the, that's the vision. And we feel if we can complete that vision, then we will be able to offer a service which will effectively remove all the banking services or the need of banking services that you have today and the traditional finance services you have today and move over to using a ledger and our what I call our um, transactional partners. I get a question a lot. And the question's pretty simple, but it's about these central bank digital currencies or these government uh, central, you know, central digital currencies. Do you think that there's any viability to that? Kind of from your vantage point, like, is this a real thing? Are these getting talked about? And do they pose a threat to, you know, kind of the everyday citizens, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum holdings? I have a slightly philosophical view on that. Um, and it sounds something like this. If China's doing it, it's probably real. 
Um, and it probably will be a success. And it's probably something that we need to think about. So, yeah, I mean, my, my take on these, these currencies is it's just going to educate even more people and move everyone into the world of digital currencies even quicker. Now, will they succeed? Maybe, maybe not. But what they will do is they will advertise and educate the mass market on the world of crypto. Then it's down to the user. Do they want to stay locked in to a central bank digital currency? Or do they want to go and use something like Bitcoin and have their independence and their freedom? That choice is still going to be theirs. I feel like there's going to be maybe 90, 95% of the population that doesn't realize the difference until they have a transaction blocked from their central bank digital currency due to censorship reasons or for whatever reason, that merchant might be on a high risk list and it's just automatically canceled. And they say, well, I need something else. And then they go to Bitcoin or Ethereum or something, die, something else. But it's going to take that. So we'll see what happens. From a hardware standpoint, is there any like first look at the technology behind these central bank digital currencies? Are they using any kind of public ledgers that we might be familiar with? No pun intended. Um, so not that I know of, but what is interesting is if you have a look at the white paper released by, I think it was the Chinese government or whoever's working with them, there is a, there's a section within that paper that deals with wallets and also looks at hardware wallets. Now, I'm not saying these companies are, you know, are, are, are partnering with who they're partnering with right now, and I, I, I can't comment on that. But what I would say is they are looking down the correct channels. Um, they're looking at the security aspect. And I wouldn't be surprised if the central bank digital currencies didn't look at, you know, the hardware wallets as, and, and in addition, the software wallet providers and saying, well, okay, how do we work with you guys in order to provide secure custody of the assets that we want to give to consumers? But in terms of naming names, I, off the top of my head, I wouldn't know anybody that they're, they're, they're working with. But do governments and central banks want to give up control? Like, I guess that's my thing is like, will they want to give people non-custodial wallets and that power? You know, it, you know, kind of like not to like dive too deep into the infrastructure bill, but, you know, the infrastructure bill in its current form, again, as of August 3rd, um, you know, is, you know, making kind of accusations, not accusations, but forcing non-custodial people and providers to, uh, you know, have heavier reporting burdens and all sorts of stuff. Like kind of what, what's the idea here? What, what, you know, what, how does Ledger take this infrastructure bill? Well, so, so I mean, we have non-custodial services when it comes to cash, if you really think about it. Um, so we, we, we're still, we're already familiar and banks do let go of a certain element of control. So the way I see this playing out is, it will come down into tiers. So if you want to have five hundred dollars uh, into tiers, um, so a level, oh, like a tiered levels. system. Yeah, it's it's a system. So I thought you meant people are going to be crying. May all happen, but no. If, if if for instance you have five hundred dollars of a central bank digital currency, they may say you can put that in a non-custodial wallet. If you have a million dollars of it, they may say no. This needs to be in a custodial wallet. I think these elements still need to play out because I think there's a fine line. Um, I think governments are realizing that the more control they um, they aim for, the more they encourage people to take care of their or their own assets. So there's a fine balance that governments now need to, uh, fine line they need to tread, which wasn't there in traditional fiat. 
because customers have an alternative, they have Bitcoin, they have Monero, they have non-custodial wallets, the technology is already there. The governments are the ones who are going to have to take a little bit more notice of what customers want rather than demanding and saying, well, this is how it's going to work. From a payment standpoint, do you think we're going to have to go through a bunch of signups and KYC and waiting processes for days or weeks before we could ever buy something with crypto? Is that the kind of world they're trying to build? And how do we avoid something like that from happening? I'm not sure that's the world that they're trying to build. But I think from a consumer's perspective, if there's one thing which has reduced or shortened in everything that we're doing on day-to-day life is the time taken to execute anything. So I don't think we can go back to square one where it's going to take us five days to approve transactions and it's going to do the five days to KYC. That simply won't fly with consumers today. I do 24 hours delivery from Amazon, not because I need a power drill the next day, it's just because it's there. So I don't think you know banks and the financial sector can actually say, well, we need to now go backwards and we need to reinforce stricter KYC rules and stricter AML rules where we're going to take two weeks to process your documents, et cetera, et cetera. That won't fly because we have an alternative now. If that alternative wasn't there, if Bitcoin and all these DeFi platforms, et cetera, hadn't been developed and the tech hadn't have I want to say relatively matured, then yes, but I, I, just not feasible today. So where is Ledger Live uh, kind of headed in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? So, you know, our, our thesis is that you can't really use Web2 hardware to access Web3. So if you want to access the world of finance, you need Web3 hardware, something similar to a, a hardware wallet. Ledger wants to be the access point into the world of Web 3.0. Blockchain, crypto, let's just name it all as Web 3 for, for ease. So the idea behind Ledger Live is you, you plug in your Ledger Nano and the key value proposition of Ledger Nano being its ability to sign a transaction. Now, that transaction can be a, a buy and sell transaction as it is today, a trading transaction, or it might be a send and receive transaction when you're paying for goods or you're emitting money abroad. But the key value proposition, the hardware will be the signing, provide the signing functionality, hence the security, and Ledger Live will be then the gateway, think of it as a browser, web browser, into the world of Web 3.0, whether that's CFI applications or, or, or DeFi applications. That sounds really awesome. So the cost of living is rising, right? That's pretty much apparent. I mean, what else is new? Buying a home, renting an apartment, your gas, your groceries, and basically most, if not all of you know, life's necessities, they get more and more expensive over time. And all of this comes while not wanting to leave loved ones with huge financial burdens as well. And on that note, it actually makes sense why people do get life insurance, especially uh, term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. So, so why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, you got to choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, okay? You need just a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time So you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And if you do prefer to talk to a person, their team of licensed agents doesn't work on commission. So they'll help you uh, and not upsell you. And there's also no hidden fees. You could cancel at any time. And you could also get a full refund if you change your mind within that first 30 days. And 
Ladder policies are issued by insurers uh, with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Okay. Finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, I mean, really, if you think about it, now's the time to cross that off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash crypto 101 today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash crypto 101 ladderlife.com slash crypto 101. Can you tell us uh, about some of your current partners and you know the different payment rails that you're currently building with? And if you can, throw out some names or technologies that you'd like to work with if all of the stars were to align correctly. <laughs> um, so being an astrophysicist, I could tell you the stars never align correctly. Um, but um, <laughs> just forever. So, you know, we're working with YUS. Um, so that's our fiat on-ramp in the U.S., we work with Coinify as well, who's also a fiat on ramp. In terms of swaps, I actually just like the word swap. I, you know, I prefer, you know, you're trading for a different coin or you're exchanging. Swap seems to be a very DeFi term. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But for swaps, we use Paraswap and we use Changely. So that gives you the ability to, you know, do swaps across the Ethereum network, swaps across Bitcoin, on-ramp using ACH, on-ramp using debit cards and, and, and credit cards. And we will be adding more, um, which have various, what I call regional variations. So we might not use an existing partner, say, in, and this is just an example off the top of my head, in, I don't know, South Africa, uh, as an example. We might go with a local provider there. In, in terms of partners that, you know, we're keen on adding, we, I, I think we're keen on adding more fiat on-ramps because that, you know, without that, you can't really get people into the world of, of crypto. We're looking at NFT platforms because I think that's going to be an important way for people to buy digital assets. And we, we're referring to just as NFTs today, but, you know, I think that world will uh, expand. We're looking at uh, gaming platforms. So things you can actually do with crypto where you can spend crypto, not just buy and, and, and trade and hold staking you know staking yield farming etc you know if i if i could have a service which is a one-click stake that would be great you know we we hold a significant amount of crypto across the ledger network um wouldn't it be great if a customer can come in and by default earn interest on, on its crypto so the way i look at the payments and transaction divisions three business streams the trading and investing um, the lending and borrowing, and what I call the the sending and spending, but the the, the payments network. So partners which fit into those 
streams. I don't really want to name partners. I don't want to embarrass anyone in particular, but <laughs> partners which fit into those, into those streams. That's awesome. Iqbal, I want to I want to hearken back to something that you said in the very beginning of the episode. And I was asking um, kind of like the vision of the company. And you said that you and uh, Pascal pretty much agree on everything. I would love just a little bit of uh, a little bit of color around that pretty much. So I, I guess I'm just I'm just trying to step back in time here. I think it's the way we present the vision probably slightly differs. You know, we agree that there's that kind of a transactional layer and there's a services kind of container. His terminology might might differ there. Um, I believe there's a, also a layer below this, which is what I call payment pointers, which are human readable wallet addresses, mm. which I think are crucial to this entire crypto stack that you know everybody's trying to trying trying to build. So for me, I really believe in the philosophy of um, unbanking the bank. Note, I'm not saying banking the unbanked. I'm saying unbanking the bank. Mm. And I'm not sure I've managed to sell that in across ledger as yet. I'm trying. I've only been here three and a half, four months. But my, my theory is that as much as everybody wants to get, let's call it the developing world, I don't like that terminology, but the developing world into banking system, if it's broken, why are we wasting our time? Surely we need to get individuals such as yourself and your colleague out of the banking system. We need to unbank people like you. That's the holy grail. And if Ledger can do that, if Ledger can be the device on where you're storing your salary, then we, we you know, we've achieved something. We really changed the, the banking infrastructure. I couldn't agree more. And I think the whole point of a bank is to add a layer of responsibility where an individual feels like they might not be responsible enough. And that's something that we haven't really seen a lot in crypto because you still have to store your seed or you have to trust your neighbor or your best friend's going to be your neighbor or your best friend in another 12, 20 years. And that can be difficult to do. If Ledger comes up with some way of making sure that you're not going to lose your money, which is probably the biggest threat to any crypto holder out there, I think unbanking the bank is really going to take off. And if you want to you know, put this you know, head-to-head with the banking system, you've got over 3 billion people in the world with no banking system, no financial infrastructure at all that are going to welcome this with open arms. Yeah, so I think that the individuals who are unbanked, the system works. They, they survive without a bank. So it's clearly that there's a model there which, which works. In terms of, I'm going to use the word insurance, um, in terms of insuring people's funds, I think those solutions are slowly being developed because I think everybody understands that there's an issue. We forget passwords. <laughs> we all forget our seeds or lose them. It's human nature. The question is, you know, how, how do you insure against that? And I'll just let you into a simple story. Um, so this weekend I, I, I went away and as I, as I was driving with my wife, I said, you know, if our house caught, caught fire, not only would I lose my nano, but I'd lose my seed as well. And we turned the car around and we went back. And I'm like, I need to get hold of my nano just in case the house catches fire. Yeah. So I, I, I think, and it's a yeah, true story. My wife just looked at me in a very strange way. She said, are you serious? I said, yes. Um, but I think those problems are going to be addressed. Just as, you know, we were talking about speed. You know, can Bitcoin process so many transactions? Those problems were addressed. And just as we got issues with, you know, with this custodial, non-custodial, scalability of transactions, do we need to do layer two, et cetera, et cetera, to really build trading platforms? There is an issue. 
here about how does one secure their funds just in case you forget or something happens. Um, and I think those solutions are probably less than 12 months away. I think that's fantastic because that's really what the industry needs right now is just making this stuff easier to use, easier to understand. Um, like for instance, I have a funny story. I set my girlfriend up with a, uh, a trust wallet, right? A little online uh, or, um, you know, it's on your smartphone. So didn't want to really get her the, the ledger yet. Just wanted to slow roll things. And I was like, all right, write down your 12 words. I'm going to send you some crypto. And these 12 words are like, you know, if anybody finds these, they'll be able to steal your crypto. So these are very secret, right? And so she's like, okay, okay, great, great. And so we go on our vacation, she's got her crypto and we come back and I'm like, all right, where are your 12 words? And she's like, oh shit, like, it, it, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And, and so it's like, it's one of the, and we eventually found them, we secured them, but it's it's so, it's not first nature, right? It's not organic for us to write things down and keep them on analog things. And it's like, oh, well, why can't I just take a picture of that? And she didn't understand like, oh, why can't you put that in your notepad? Well, the cloud's not secure. Any hacker could, you know, you know, get in there um, and, and do away with your 12 words, right? And so it's just funny because it, it, how are we going to be able to get people in this mindset? Is it just an education thing? Is it on the UX, UI side? How are we going to have this revolution? I, I think it's part of it's service provisioning. So I think the service providers are going to have to take some ownership responsibilities somewhere. And I'm not saying on the UX, UI side, in terms of, you know, we could look after them, we could look after half them, we could, we could figure that out. I don't know exactly what the mechanics are on that. There's definitely a UX UI side of things. I mean, if, if you look at any industry, if you look at the internet industry as an example, you know, after the first five or 10 years, there's very little new tech developed. I mean, it made things faster and quicker and scalable, but very little new tech. You know, email was email, and DNS was DNS, and et cetera. We just had different layers of UX appear every five years. So we went from Usenet to e-groups to Facebook groups, et cetera. But the UI just changed. So I think we're in a in a cycle now where a lot of focus needs to put on UI and 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 I would say customer acquisition. If you have a look at a lot of the companies, they are very focused on the tech and it's like we'll build a product, the world will come. No, the first generation of the world will come, the next generation you really need to market and educate to. And I think that's what we need to go to as a as a community and work together and say, let's we don't need to talk about layer two to everyone. We just need to say this works. Um, and it's the same with the with, with the seeds. I think as an industry we do need to find a solution to it. As much as we want customers to take custody, we somewhere need to take responsibility that, or just to cover them. If they were to lose that, what happens? And I think as, if we can solve that, then this industry is, is right. One of my questions, uh, you know, before we get to our closing question, um, is who or what is your competition? Like when you really think about your competition, do you really think about other hardware wallets or other, you know, payments platforms, or are you thinking about something larger? I think uh, our competition is a uh, lethargy. Um, it's actually customers understanding. Which means, which means laziness for any viewer that doesn't know what lethargy means. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It, it is customers understanding the difference between stored on an exchange, stored on a software wallet, stored on a hardware wallet. Because that's that's our target audience today. And tomorrow, the target audience are the individuals who haven't even entered crypto. 
right? So today it's the individuals in crypto, and they are in various different phases. They are the ones who are storing their crypto on exchange. Today, by now, people need to understand that exchanges get hacked. I'm not saying they all, all will. Some will, and you never know which one will. You also don't know which ones will come under regulatory scrutiny. You know, we've seen what's been played out with Binance, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that element. And then there's the software element, which I, I think there's a, an article or something which, which came out last week. I saw one on, on Twitter, and it might have been out by our uh, security team, you know, showing how easy it is with easily available tools to get access to people's software wallets on a mobile phone. Um, and I'm not doing a sales pitch here. I don't want to sound like a sales pitch. So for me, it's, it's that laziness thing. It, it's, you know, we can educate so much, but we're saying, look, if you want to secure money, you want to secure your crypto, you want to secure your digital IDs, you will eventually have to move to a hardware wallet, whether that's Ledger or, you know, one of the, the other companies out there or Jack Dorsey's hardware wallet when he, when he launches it. Right now, it's largely irrelevant to us. Um, but I, for me, the competition is, is, is actually good level of laziness and people just accepting i bought it here i'm going to leave it here until they lose it which i think is a little bit too late yeah very very well said and as far as the ui goes user interface and the user experience the ux i think one of the biggest issues that we run into when we're talking to someone about crypto for the first time is the industry language that we use you know we're calling parts of a bitcoin satoshis or sats and the average person is like, why don't you call it bits? It'd be so, it would make so much more sense. You know, why do you say I have 0.0001 of a Bitcoin instead of, you know, a million sats or bits? You feel like you have a lore if you've got a million of something versus a tiny little fraction. Is there any consideration to pushing the narrative forward with evolving the language here in crypto? Considering Ledger's an industry leader, it's often the first wallet people get. Um, I, I've even been given a Ledger wallet for Christmas before. And I know there's a lot of other people that will buy them and give them as gifts to try and get into people, to give them to people, to get them into crypto. Is there any consideration in, you know, take the lead on that? I, I think I mean, if you step back a couple of years ago, there was a lot of work done on the taxonomy of crypto and, you know, how to label crypto assets and then, you know, work into several different categories. I know the regulators worked on it, you know, in, in the UK and I know the US regulators also looked at it so they could actually understand, you know, is it is it cryptocurrency, is it, is it crypto asset, et cetera. But I don't think there's a, a kind of a mass market drive here. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to use the analogy of drugs here, and I apologize for this way in advance, um, but I'm just going to use the analogy because it might help understand. There are people who manufacture really complicated drugs, and I'm, not, I'm saying the legal guys and the illegal drugs, both of them. And then there's a set of teams who sell these drugs and they use a different language they don't use the you know cho4 or whatever they don't use the molecular infrastructure they actually develop names they take the latin names and then they make them into human digestible names so we call you know we have paracetamol you know that's not the chemical name for for that this is what we now need to do in crypto we've got these complicated names we call saving traditional saving we call it lending in crypto why can't we just call it saving because you're earning interest? And so now what we need to do is we need a group of people and these people, you know, these the, the, the crypto platforms will hire these people eventually, call them marketing people, sales people. They're the ones who have to divide, develop this language. And I think that's coming. It just hasn't happened fast enough. I think the tech has managed to permeate 
everyday life far faster than the language has developed. And it usually happens the other way around. So it's coming. It's just not there here today. There are people who create the drugs and there are people who sell the drugs. We now need to focus a little bit more on people who are really good at selling. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think the biggest misunderstanding out there is that a wallet is actually a wallet. People think, okay, so I've got there's this Bitcoin in my wallet now. You know, what happens if I lose this wallet? And I say, well, nothing, because Bitcoin's a distributed ledger, have that balance forever. Your wallet is actually a key holder. What's funny is uh, when I was coming back from, where was I coming back from? Some foreign country. But I got stopped at the airport through customs and they were interrogating me because it was, you know, around election time. And uh, they were very, very weird. Um, so they said, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're in crypto. You know, did you take your hardware wallet with you? You know, are you transferring more than $10,000 overseas? And I kind of chuckled. It was like, well, that would a be a dumb thing to do is to bring my hardware wallet with me overseas. Uh, and two, it would be completely irrelevant if I did, or I didn't, because it's no different than a house key. If my house is worth more than $10,000, you're implying that I have to report bringing my house keys with me on a trip as taking money out of the country. That is essentially what you're telling me. And they had no, of course, no idea how that works. And I didn't expect them to. But um, the next question out of their mouth is, what do you think of Doge? Should I get some more? And of course, I told them, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think some different term other than wallet would this industry so far beyond where it is today. I mean. It's a very similar analogy just to your normal debit card, right? I lose my debit card. I don't lose my money. If I take my debit card in my pocket, my wallet abroad, it doesn't mean I'm transferring those funds abroad. It's actually very sim- similar to that. It's just changed. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well said. Well, before we let you go, we just got a couple closing questions. Who is it in the crypto space, in this crypto space that inspires you or that you really look up to? I'm, I'm going to give a really boring answer to that. I, I apologize because I don't like to make answers. I'm genuinely not inspired by anybody in the crypto space. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think <laughs> the crypto space as a whole needs to come together. And right now, everybody's jostling for top dog position. And I, I, I just feel we just need to come together and actually say, look, yeah, this is what we want to change. And who knows who's going to be number one today. And more importantly, the market is huge. So we're all going to make money, right? And we're going to make a lot of money if we all work together to change this industry. But right now, there's, yeah, I don't think, you know, there's a great dev community. I've seen pockets of it. It's really, really good. At ECC, there was, you know, everybody knew everybody and it was great. But I wouldn't say there's anyone that I admire in the crypto space. I I think as a community, we need to we need to bond a little bit rather than kind of taking each other on in various you know panels and this that the other that I, I come across now and again. All right, interesting answer. I don't think we've gotten that one, but Iqbal, we really appreciate your time and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll look forward to seeing some uh, big updates here from Ledger in the near term. Thank you. Thanks for your time, guys. Cheers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.